Hello, and welcome to the Theological Family Ministry Podcast. This is Ben Palaz. I'm the pastor for Family and Children's Discipleship at Curtis Baptist Church in Augusta, Georgia. And I'm joined by my friend... Tony Tresoni, the Family and Children's Pastor in Westminster Baptist Church in Westminster, Maryland. That's right. Now, this is a podcast to equip pastors, children's, and youth workers, and parents as they minister to the kids in their care. Uh, We try to think through how a basic and working knowledge of the Bible's overall teaching affects how you carry out your role, from what you teach to the methods that you use. Uh, Today we have a spicy topic for you. Muy caliente. Yes, muy caliente. Uh, We're going to discuss how to deal with the things in Scripture, things that are breathed out by the Holy Spirit that didn't make the cut for the flannel graph. And there are plenty of them. So, uh, Tony, you've probably heard about the curriculum publisher a few years back that got a call from a concerned church. They thought they'd received a misprinted copy of the material, and the publisher said, no, no, you got the right stuff. Uh, See, the church found that there was the the crucifixion and the resurrection uh, that they expected to find in the Easter time lessons were missing, and the, the publisher said, no, no, you've got the right stuff. So we thought the cross was too violent for the kids, and then the resurrection wouldn't make sense without the crucifixion, so we're just going to skip that and focus on the Last Supper. Now, I think since that time, they have somewhat corrected that, but the fact that they thought this was a good idea is just jaw-dropping. Um, so, Tony, with that in mind, let, let's get going here. Uh, is the Bible G-rated? Not even close. You know, most Bible storybooks that are popularly read might be interpreted as G-rated, especially the ones that kind of play light on the crucifixion of Jesus, which, you know, is only like the central story of Scripture. <laughs> minor detail, minor detail. So, what rating would you give it? Yeah, I think some of it is very mature. You know, I think the film highest rating in a film would be NC-17. And the truth (laughs) is, much of the Bible, I think, would be clearly NC-17. Yes, there's some things that are hard to read in public, in fact. Now, why do you think God would give us things that are, are, are of that nature? Yeah, I think it's primarily so we can see the seriousness of sin and at the same time that we can see that God made all things pure. You know, I think we see, especially in the violent aspect of it, just how serious sin is, and we'll talk more details, but then, you know, and it gives very specific details on on some things in our body that we don't talk about as much, but we see that God made all things pure. Yeah, I think that's a good point that he did, and then in our, our sinfulness we have corrupted many things. And I was talking to one of our pastors here, Tom Lowry, who worked with students for a long time, and he and I were talking about just religious literature and how, you know, some it may glory in all the details of something bad, but that doesn't tell you as much about the fallout. But in Scripture, it gives you a lot of detail about the fallout of sin. And so, and just adding to the credibility of Scripture. And so it's, it's just showing it, showing us reality. So, Tony, do you think that we should share those not-so-G-rated things with kids? I think we should never allow any of the Bible to be seen as off-limits to children. So I think that would be as clear overstep of a role as parents and, and workers in ministry to ever make any part of the Bible out, out outside the limits of what we want our children to read. But further, much of those parts of the Bible are important. So yeah, how much of this should we share? I mean, how about as it relates to violence? I mean, you have animal sacrifice, you have the cutting of covenants where they split animals open, you have the annihilation of the Canaanites, you have 
all sorts of uh, you know cannibalism happening very very uh, troubling things so how much of that should we share yeah, I think we're commanded to share a lot of it, frankly. And especially, I really want to highlight in Exodus 12, and I won't read it because it's really the whole of Exodus 12. It's the story of the Passover. While the story of the Passover is being told to the Israelites, it's funny because it also commands at the same time, as they're going through all these details, it commands for Israelites in the future to tell their children, to tell everyone to celebrate these acts of the Passover. And was the acts of the Passover something that was PG or even G-rated? No. It was an incredibly violent thing. It was not just the killing of an animal and smearing its blood onto the door, but the Passover involved the killing of the first child of all Egyptian families. I mean, that's an incredibly violent thing, but it was specifically commanded for a future Israelites to tell their descendants. We need to understand further the atonement. The atonement in the Bible is anything but G-rated, you know, and I think that even just doesn't, doesn't extend to the cross, but it goes further beyond that. To understand what the cross is, we need to understand what the sacrificial system is and see what it meant to actually make atonement for someone. And that's, that's violent, you know, and we can't cover over that or we can't really understand it. Uh, you know, I think we need to see and understand all of that, but that doesn't mean that we need to give the most specific details, especially to those who are really young. We don't want to give them nightmares, but at the same time, we want to treat it seriously. You know, one source that I thought did an excellent job with this is What's in the Bible with Phil Vischer. Phil Vischer's product after VeggieTales. He talked in one of the episodes about the Canaanite destruction, about the slaughtering of all the Canaanites when the Israelites went into the land. And, you know, it's a DVD for children. And, and he went and he very clearly communicated what happened and what were the ethical concerns about it without giving kids nightmares. I, I've seen some of his stuff, but uh, I have not seen that particular one. But you're right. I mean, kids would have seen the sacrifices happening. It wasn't yeah. mom and dad didn't just go and tell them about it. They they actually saw it, and it was a bloody affair. And I think, too, I mean, just in our society today, we're removed from agricultural life. And so even just seeing animals killed, a lot of adults haven't even seen that, unless they hit them with their car or something. And so, I mean, take 100 or 200 years ago even, you know, kids living on a farm would have seen animals butchered. Not that you glory in, in bloodshed or something like that, but, you know, we've just sanitized things a lot more in modern times. And, you know, we get our food from a grocery store now. And so, but I think you're right, tying it to the atonement. I mean, that you know, Hebrews says that there's no forgiveness of sins without the shedding of blood. Absolutely. And so, I mean, and that means someone died. So I think that's a really helpful point. And, and we're telling, this is what God does about sin. He takes it this seriously. Yeah, you know, it's funny you bring that up, especially that how inappropriate sometimes our culture likes to see, even watching animal death. You know, we just go to the grocery store. I think of, we had a professor in college. I don't know if he's one of your professors, but he was at our church at one time, and he informed me that as a professor one time he looked at a video a couple videos of animals being sacrificed i think it was in africa and places where it was part of their tribal religion and he did it on you know his work computers at a co at a bible college and apparently it flagged as inappropriate on the servers and he had to get permission to watch the sacrifice and videos yeah that's that's funny i think i had heard that 
Well, let's move on to another topic that's equally, you know, can be disturbing or sensitive, but that's the issue of sex. I mean, in in the Bible, you have sex happening in different ways. You have adultery, you have fornication, rape, marital love. I mean, what do we do with that? Yeah, that's really a fascinating question, you know, and that I think can be a really tough one. You know, even in the past, this was regarded as a hard question. For ancient Jews, often, Song of Solomon was not allowed to be read until a child would turn 13. They wouldn't really expose them to it. But, you know, I think they were commanded to expose children to all of the Bible in one way or another. You know, I don't think that's going to mean, especially with this kind of sexual stuff, especially with Song of Solomon. Don't get into all that kind of gritty detail with them. But I think give it in a way that a child might understand. One way that I think was really well articulates it was a friend of mine, Kyle, from back in Louisville, had explained how he communicates adultery to children and the Ten Commandments. And he said that essentially he tells his children that adultery is when pe- two people who aren't mommy and daddy are pretending to be mommy and daddy. And for a young mm-hmm. child, I think that's a great way to help them understand it. Yeah, that's what I've done with my own children. Just you know, they they pretended like they were married, and. I got the picture, and they didn't say, well, tell me exactly what that looks like, Dad. And so I think that's really helpful. And I think, too, it sets the stage for marriage and explaining that marriage is a gift from the Lord. It's it's within the confines of marriage. And so there's a lot that you can do there, and you, you unfold that as they age. That statement really rings true, by the way. Well, I'm glad it was helpful. <laughs> My phone ringing. Okay, so how about with the issue of slavery? That's one that the critics of the Bible will use, and you know, it's, it's in the history of America and in the history of a lot of where there have been people, they have enslaved one another. But you know, what do we do there? I think that they need to see how bad people were to each other in sin and slavery, you know, because I think slavery sometimes was one of the clearest articulations of how bad sin can go to mock, even among God's people, of owning another person. But at the same time, I think there's even more to that that children need to understand. In the New Testament, repeatedly, slavery is used as a metaphor for, for two things, really. Slave, slavery is a metaphor of our relationship to sin. We're called to be enslaved to sin prior to coming to Christ. And that's obviously meaningless, which is part of the gospel. It's, part, it's meaningless if kids don't understand what slavery is. And then, you know, we're called, if we're followers of Christ, we're not called servants of Christ. It's, we're given the Greek word for slave. We're called slaves of Christ. We're, we're Christ's people. We're bought by Christ, his followers. Now, that doesn't mean he's going to whip us or doesn't mean a lot of the really negative connotations, especially from the American slave trade. But certainly... It's we can't ignore the realities of slavery. That's true. Yeah, I think bringing that that we are slaves to sin and that we're the the slaves of Christ, and just giving the picture, this is what happens when sin takes over. You know, I think it also speaks to the truthfulness of Scripture, showing even the the quote good guys in the Bible are doing things that are not so good at times, because Scripture is ultimately not about us and you know being the the faithful heroes, it's about God saving his people. Absolutely. So how can we take some of these rough or gritty elements in ways that are as tasteful as possible while still making it clear that sinners were being sinners and sin's really bad, but that bad judgment awaits sinners? I think for older children, 
I think it's incredibly important that they need to read it and see it themselves. You know, and I think that's sometimes one of the best ways that a parent or a child care worker can help children is to, is to have to see it, to work through it themselves, through the Bible. I mean, the Bible is very clear about a lot of these details. And so for us, even, we have a program and doing the service called King of Cadets, and we encourage elementary age kids to be reading the Bible themselves, including the really hard and gritty stuff and you know and to use discretion and maybe help from your parents when you get to song of solomon because that's a whole new a whole different animal <laughs> as you know <laughs> you know i think even for younger kids you can gloss over it and tell kids uh, that what happened is very adult and it's sad and really bad uh, you know one way that i can think of is with our program king cadets again we try to work through all the books of the bible and show how the bible's put together and so we can't avoid anything like that and and we had to talk about judges you know and if you've read the end of judges recently you can testify that the end of judges is almost without question the most violent disgusting just gut-wrenching part of the bible it is i mean truly depraved act that happened at the end of judges and kind of how we described it is that to the children it's that so this woman was killed and the israelites did something worse than anyone could ever think of to her so you know we don't detail what that is and you can talk to your mom and dad about it but we say you know what happened to her is worse than you would even think about we don't want to get them nightmares but they need to see the seriousness of it and you know even in addition to that sometimes it, i think it's really helpful to use a connection of what they know so sometimes i think we're going to have to talk about hell if we're teaching children about the bible we're going to have to talk about the seriousness of god's judgment on sin and for especially really young kids a lot of times you know i'll mention that you know our punishment from sin. It's, it's like your mom and dad gives you a timeout, or mom and dad, in some contexts, might spank. You know, I'm not going to do that when I don't know what the parent's policy is, but it connected to something that they already know. That's. I think those, those are helpful comments, because sin is, sin is just a really big category, and it goes beyond just you know, simply not following a rule or something like that, but just showing the kids, this is what happens when we don't love God, and when we don't love each other the way God made us to, you know, because all the kids we're ministering to, they sin, and they've been sinned against. And so this is not some surprise that that people would do something sinful. But I think you're right. You don't want to give them nightmares. and You know, we're not going to show the passion of the Christ, you know, to the two-year-olds. I just um, hope not. Yeah, I mean, it's just not needed. But still, just showing them the reality of sin in ways that, that they can get. So what's at risk or what's at stake if we sanitize these kind of unsavory parts of Scripture as we might see them uh, to keep our children from hearing them? Well, with all that, I would have to be sanitized. I think that we'd, we'd blow all of our household budget and Lysol. That's definitely one thing that's at risk, uh, <laughs> to sanitize all of that. Uh, but much bigger than Lysol concerns, we make the Bible into a fable when we do this. And we, I think we definitely do. And we make it a book that they will grow out of. They will outgrow as they get older. They don't see, then, the darkness of sin. They don't see. They see essentially the Bible as a bunch of as a morality tale, and the Bible is so much more than that. But further, it's just akin to any other morality tale. Every culture has their mythology, and when we don't understand the gritty in the Bible, it's easy to see why people disregard the Bible as 
our culture's mythology or even the Jewish culture's mythology. But they need to see the seriousness of judgment even, that it's not just go and be good, it's how serious our sin is when we don't be good and we all disobey God and deserve that judgment. I think further, we change the Bible oftentimes when we relate to children. It's notable, as you mentioned kind of in your opening thing, but one the ones that are more common might be the example of the story of Noah and the flood. You know, Noah and the flood is presented as cutesy, which is truly unbelievable for an event that killed all of humanity apart from one family. I mean painfully killed all of humanity apart from one family. Or the wall of Jericho. You know, it's cutesy. They just knocked the walls down. Never mind the fact that there would have been people literally living in the wall of Jericho, and the wall probably toppled on, onto hundreds, if not thousands, of people killing them. But, you know, I think what we do that is there these kind of things are depictions that run through people's lives, you know. Even those within church, I've known adults that kind of see that the wall of Jericho is just as a sweet little story that is very, in nature, child-appropriate. Not understanding the seriousness of sin that's meant to be conveyed in the wall of Jericho or in the story of Noah. I think it alters throughout their lives how they understand those Bible passages. Yes, absolutely. I mean, those things color their perception for a long time. And not that it can't be undone, but you don't want to give them that impression. And I think, you know, we end up robbing them of seeing God's redeeming power and his love and his grace to reach into this sinful world and the sinful people's lives and change them. So what does holding back these kind of gritty elements of Scripture, what does it reveal about our view of Scripture and, and ultimately of God? I think it reveals a lot. I think that's a really good question, Ben. I think really it sees that the Bible is really good for nice moral lessons, but we basically see it as a little embarrassing. So, you know, the, we it sees the Bible as great for learning how to be a good neighbor or, you know, learning how to help other people, but not really great for understanding a worldview as it's designed to do for us. Uh, you know, and again, I think it contributes again to that fable mentality. It, can, it shows that we want to see the Bible as a story of things, of nice things to do, rather than the story of what's done for us. It shows that we don't really feel that the Bible is sufficient, nor is it useful, in spite of what Second Timothy 3 says. Second Timothy 3 says, For all scripture is God-breathing, useful for teaching, correcting, rebuking, and training in righteousness. And when we pretend that these parts of the Bible really are inappropriate, that they're not helpful, that they're not good for children, or maybe not even good for us, that we need to hold them back, we're basically saying to Paul, he's wrong, aren't we, Ben? Yeah, I mean, that's a sobering thought, but yeah, I mean, essentially we're saying, I mean, Paul wrote it, and it, you know, moved along by the Holy Spirit, and so we're saying, in a subtle way, we think we know better than the Holy Spirit. And as for, you asked about how we view God in light of that, I think that it makes God, and our view of God, into the family-friendly vending machine, not the holy judge that he is, you know. God is the guy who gives us what we want, that helps us have a nicer life, and he makes life family-friendly. He's the Hallmark Channel God, basically, when we do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, I think that's a good analogy. I remember hearing someone tell about preaching from 
the New Testament from uh, one of the Corinthian letters and mentioning, I think it's First Corinthians, where it mentions a prostitute. And a woman came up to him, a mother came up to him after the sermon, and she said, well, thanks a lot. Now I have to explain to my son what a prostitute is. And, you know, why were you talking about that? And he said, well, I didn't say it. The Holy Spirit did. And, you know, I mean, there's a little cheek in there, but he's right. I mean, the Holy Spirit did say if you join yourself to a prostitute, you'd become one with her. You don't, again, you don't go into all the gory details and glory in the sin, but you still can acknowledge the reality. Absolutely. Um, now, I wouldn't preach every Sunday or teach every children's lesson about what it means to be joined to a prostitute. Oh, of course not. Yeah, yeah. But just, you know, if it's there, you know, deal with it. And it, it takes wisdom, too, knowing where this group of children or this particular yeah. child is. Some children may be ready for it sooner. We've talked kind of about what, what's at risk here and what it, what it tells us about Scripture when we, if we withhold these things. What does it tell us about our view of humanity? I think it really reveals that we view humanity as just needing better morals. And I think it does connect again to that moralism. We think that the Bible is good to help people live a better life. And that humanity is basically decent, but just needs more, just needs help and being even better. I think it does not show that we understand that we are truly biblically bad, that we're deserving of judgment. I mean, if we shy away from that, it's because we don't understand that that's deeply relevant to us, that that's a warning. Those warnings of judgment are, mean something for us, even for children. And I think it hides over the dirtiness of sins. But again, then on the flip side, that it also, when you avoid some of the grittier parts of the Bible, you also might communicate to somebody who has, you know, a weak conscience and who is what's called by the Puritans a bruised reed. You might communicate to them, even as a child, that they're dirty dirty in a way that the Bible doesn't say that they are. I think dirty by, you know, a failing to acknowledge some facets of the Bible, failing to acknowledge that God made our bodies, that God made us wonderful. Those are good points. So I think, you know, it can show just a shallow view of fallenness and that sin is like a superficial wound on the skin when it's really, you know, deep down in your bones. And Absolutely. You, you, you kind of, you hit on that well. And our biggest issue, we don't just need a little self-help here. I mean, we need a, a, you know, a resurrection. We don't need more Dr. Phil. <laughs> uh, no, that's, yeah, we could do without Dr. Phil in a lot of ways. But how should parents incorporate this kind of stuff, these, these grittier elements of Scripture, into their efforts to try to make disciples of their kids? You know, my best advice in this is probably going to be that in family devotions, you you take 20 consecutive days to reread over and over that ending of Judges that I described as being <laughs> vulgar. No, I would not encourage that. I would not encourage that. Uh, yeah, I'd no, be prepared to be exhausted from all the nightmares. <laughs> uh, yes, you would, definitely. Your own nightmares, too, probably. It's that dark. <laughs> I think teach atonement, absolutely. I think that is one of the cores in this, to teach the atonement, to teach the importance of what Christ did and what it truly was in light of the system of atonement in the Bible, and regularly show how sin is scary. And it's a big deal. Sovereign Grace Music, they have a kid CD, and one of the kid CDs called Theology. And one of the songs in that kid CD is Sin is the Scariest Thing of All, describing how 
sin is the most truly the most horrifying thing in all existence. It should terrify us. It's destructive and it hurts us and it tears apart everyone around us. And I think that's a great way of exposing. The sin needs to be shown to be scary. It's a big deal. It's serious. And I think even in that, you know, I mentioned some positive thing from Phil Vischer today, so I should mention a less positive thing. <laughs> I I remember watching in the old VeggieTales series, there's a classic one, King George and the Ducky, just telling the story <laughs> of David and Bathsheba. Yep. And you know, if you don't if you don't go beyond telling the Bible and the gritty parts of the Bible as King George and the Ducky does, I think that you're failing to help children truly understand the seriousness of sin. Yeah, my wife and I have talked about that one and uh I mean she's you know, that just doesn't quite convey what's going on there. Yeah. I, I think you're just bringing it into, you know, covering it in, in your family devotions. And, you know, we've done a podcast about that. And I, that, that can be just a really helpful thing in the process of trying to make disciples of Jesus of your kids. And you're just reading through Scripture or using a, a helpful devotional, uh, but you're covering what's there. And, you know, like with the prodigal son, I mean, I think you can tell the children about and you don't have to go, you know, he was living it up with prostitutes, and this is probably what he did. But you can share the reality of his sin and how he ran from his, his father's authority and, um, you know, use that in a situation maybe when a child is running from God's authority and your authority as a parent uh, to show. And then as they, the, the father's out there looking and then he runs to him. Or, I mean, you brought up David and Bathsheba. I mean, without getting too graphic, you can just show this is what sin does. And, you know, David's, def- uh, his response, he tries to defend his sin. He tries to cover it up. And then it just leads into more sin. And then you look at the fallout in his family. And you can get that across without having to imagine the scene, you know, of all of what David did. And so there's ways that you can bring it up in just general teaching, general conversations, or when you, you have this, one of those teaching moments where you're trying to deal with their sin and it, with the Word of God. So Tony, how can those who teach children at church give an accurate picture of, of Scripture and of the Lord? I think present the gritty important parts. You know, don't be afraid of them. Even in your lessons at children, you know, I've known of those who have taught really great curriculums that talk about some of these hard and gritty parts of Scripture or parts of the Bible that some people find boring at times, unfortunately, in the same way. And, you know, and I've known teachers that, you know, I'll, I'll avoid that part or I'll ignore that lesson that's been created for me. And I would encourage you not to do that, but present the gritty, important parts that the Bible presents to us. And the truth is the law has tons of that. And I think sometimes this is one of the dangers how even some great curriculums have a tendency to just basically cover Leviticus numbers and Deuteronomy in one lesson because mm. you know it's so it's so gritty it's so dark at times it's it's so bloody and you know and it presents a seriousness of sin but it is such a highlight of scripture and in fact Jesus quotes from parts of that some of those books more than anywhere else in the Bible that he quotes from and I think that's deeply relevant and not sanctifying the Bible stories not presenting David and Bathsheba as King George and the Ducky not just showing that video <laughs> for the kids and thinking that you've actually presented, presented the Bible trying to present this in a biblical and helpful way you know. and I think even not being afraid to 
present less culturally desirable attributes in the Bible. And I think there is a slippery slope involved in this. And slippery slope, to be clear, is not always a, a logical fallacy, but it's only a logical fallacy when there's no logical connection between the two points. But I think there's a slippery slope in this in that we, if we start avoiding teaching topics that we feel that are uncomfortable to us, pretty soon the next generation stop teaching topics that are less comfortable to their society. And that's it's going to be very clearly going to be homosexuality and what the Bible is to say about that topic and topics similar to that kind of thing. You yeah, know? Or, or food that's not, you know, certified organic. I mean, just, you, know, you, know where, <laughs> yeah. you don't know where it's going to go. Of course. Yeah, I think yeah. that's and an excellent point uh, th- about that, um, just, just looking down the road. And I think, you know, a lot of times churches use curriculum. And so you want to use good curriculum. I mean, these things are not all created equal, as we mentioned at the beginning. Don't just assume if it has Bible or God or Jesus or Holy Spirit in the title that it's good. You know, you know, want to review what's there. And often if you go to a, a Christian bookstore, you can review a, a copy and look at it a little more thoroughly. And just, like you said, let the Bible speak for itself. I mean, the Holy Spirit gave it to us. He breathed it out of the human authors. And so trust his wisdom and ask for his wisdom in teaching it on how much to share, how much not to share, and, and when to just sort of pass through and, and make a, a, you know, a comment as you go. But we do, we want to hold out the, the whole counsel of God, as Paul told, I think it was the Ephesian elders. And so, yeah, this is what the Holy Spirit has given us. This is what is going to make us wise to salvation. And so we need to, to give it to those who, who we're caring for. And it's good for us, too. Amen. Ben, will this be a launching pad for you recruiting some volunteers at your church to, to draw a historically and biblically accurate depiction of Noah's flood? Yes, we, we really want to decorate. It, it's going to be great to visitors. We're going to have you know corpses and things. It is going to be, it's going to be a spectacle to see. So we, we want to recruit those that have those talents. Well, Tony, it's been an interesting conversation and one that's helped me think more carefully about handle, how to handle God's word and how to teach it faithfully to the children entrusted to my care. So as always, thank you for listening to the Theological Family Ministry Podcast. We appreciate it, and we hope that this was thought-provoking for you too, and that it proves helpful for your family and for your church, and that ultimately God will be lifted up as you reflect on these things too. So please like it, share it, or or review this podcast. Um, And you can find past episodes of the TFM on SoundCloud or iTunes. And until next time.